Well, take your Bibles. I feel real led and compelled to go to the Book of Ruth tonight. And I don't know where I'm at in the Book of Ruth, I'll be honest with you. I had to go back four or five lessons, figure out where I was at, where my notes were. <clears throat> but uh, you can just open it up anywhere in the Book of Ruth, and we're right there. And uh, but I'm in Ruth chapter 3, Ruth chapter 4. Just kind of want to bring you up to par a little bit. Back in January, I preached a message about Ruth in verse number 10 is making her proposal to Boaz. And it's a proposal to basically to be redeemed. And I'm glad that uh, 39 years ago, this past weekend, somebody knocked on my door and said, we have a white 66 passenger bus and tomorrow's Easter Sunday. And they said, would you come? Well, that was a moment in time my life was altered. Didn't know it then, but I know it now. And uh, and I was compelled. I was asked to come. And I just felt like that was a thing to do, was just to go. And then a week later, I went back to the church. Uh, this coming weekend to be 39 years that I went back to that country church on a Sunday, Sunday night and um, heard the preacher preach. And I got saved, trusted Christ as my Savior, walked the aisle. They took me to a classroom and, and very carefully went through the gospel and shared the greatest story ever been told, how the Lord would take a sinner and save him by His grace. And that's what I needed 39 years ago, and that's what people need today is still redemption. And that's what Ruth needed. That being from that ungodly heritage of being a Moabite and being a Moab, being from Moab, and the only thing about God she knew was what she was learning from Naomi. But she knew there was a man by the name of Boaz that had the goods. And I once again, once again, it's all through the book. Boaz is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I submit to you tonight, after 39 years, he's got the good still. Amen. 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 And what we need to do is, is learn how to get people to the feet of Boaz. Learn how to get people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And where they would want to be redeemed. Amen. Where they thirst. He said, if any man thirsts, let him come. And I believe there's some folks coming to the Lord and they're not even thirsty. God's not even speaking to them. They're not tired of their, are you with me tonight? They're, maybe they're familiar with it. And um, not really thirsty. Just coming to the Lord, well, my mom and dad's a Christian, my brother's a Christian, well, it's just time for me to, to, to make that decision. How about the Holy Spirit makes that pricking in your heart where you get thirsty and you come to Him and see yourself as a sinner lost and undone in your sin. And you come to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm from the country of Moab. I'm from a heathen family. I'm from a heathen generation. I'm a heathen individual myself. And and, and Lord, I'm just trying to figure out how to get redeemed. That's what she's doing. 
She's trying to get her future strong. She's trying to get her future safe. She's trying to get her future secure. And that's the only way you're going to have it. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm glad that when she made that proposal and she called basically upon the name of Boaz, he responded in a very great way. And I'm glad that 39 years ago, when I confessed with my heart, believed in my heart, that Christ died for me, was buried and rose again, and for whosoever shall call the name of the Lord shall be saved, I'm glad it didn't take but a moment of time. Immediately, the Lord responded. He responded and saved me. He responded and, and uh, secured me. He responded and sealed me by the Holy Ghost of God unto the day of redemption. What a blessing. You know, if we're not careful, we're going to get bogged down in life so bad that we're looking at all the problems and we're looking at all the frustration and we're looking at all the troubles and the trials that we're going to fool around and forget what the Lord has done for us. I mean, you think about it tonight where you are tonight. I mean, you're here on a Wednesday night and uh, singing the songs of Zion. And uh, I mean, you could be, you could be in the hospital bed. You could be broke, busted, and disgusted in a jail cell somewhere. Are you with me? You could still be lost in your sin on your way to a Christless eternity. I think sometimes the devil does a pretty good job letting us forget what God's done in our life. I'll tell you something he done. And he's going to do, and what Boaz is going to do in the life of Ruth, I love this verse. Go to 1 Samuel. You say, I thought we was in Ruth. Y'all just, just, just let me preach. Look at 1 Samuel. Go a couple pages over. Look here at 1 Samuel chapter 2 while Hannah's praying, dedicating that man child unto the Lord and look what she said verse 6 look at 1 Samuel 2 6 the Lord killeth and maketh alive he bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up now watch this the Lord maketh poor and maketh rich he bringeth low and lifteth up now the next verse as you read it I want you to think about the the New Testament and the promises that we have He raises up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dung hill. I'm telling you, 39 years ago, I was just an old beggar and I was down in the dung hill of life. Amen. Lost in my sin, going to a Christless eternity. If I'd have died before April 29th, 1984, as a 12-year-old boy, I'd have went to hell. You said you believe that? Absolutely. I knew what sin was. I knew what rebellion was. I knew what wickedness was. I knew I was uh, sinful and defiant toward the things of God. But thank God he allowed me to live and I trusted him as my Savior. He lifted me up from the, uh, as a beggar from the dunghill to set them among princesses and to make them inherit the throne of glory. And that's exactly what Ruth is looking for. She's looking for the inheritance that she's going to sponge off of with her father-in-law Elimelech. She's looking for a piece of land that she can claim through Elimelech. 
through her um, her, her dead husband and uh, her dead father-in-law, and um, and 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 she she's about to be lifted up among princesses and to make them inherit the throne of glory. And if you're saved tonight. Uh, the Bible teaches us that we're priests. He teaches that we're princesses. And he has given us an inheritance, the throne of glory. And you have access to that throne until you get there. Isn't that a blessing? For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. I tell you, folks, I mean, the Lord has picked, as the psalmist says, he picked us up out of the miry clay about the horrible pit. And he set our feet upon a solid rock and he established our goings. Do you not realize tonight how put together you really are? You may not feel like it. You may look at your banking account and may not think you're all put together. But I'm telling you, if you've been saved, you've got a possession coming. If you've been saved, you've got an inheritance coming. If your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life, God says to rejoice evermore and we're going to be partakers of the throne of glory one day. We, that's all we got is that, we just, Brother Trinkle, that's all we got is eternal everlasting life with the Lord. Isn't that a blessing? Somehow this world beats us down and we lose sight of all that. Because it's so easy to look at the temporal and forget about the eternal. But I tell you, if you go back to the book of Ruth, she comes to Boaz, and the, back in January when I preached uh, from uh, Ruth chapter 3, verses 12 through 18, um, she is making that proposal to Boaz, she makes that request for redemption. He gives her an assurance of that redemption, just like the Lord Jesus Christ gives us assurance of our salvation, and we went through some of those things. We also talked about how he gave her assurance of provision, that he will take good care of her. Of course, he loaded her, loaded her up once again at the end of chapter 3 and sent her back to Naomi's house with 88 pounds of barley on her back. Boaz has set his sights on her in such a way he knows he's going to be taking care of her. Now there's some there's a bump in the road here. And the bump in the road, let's look at um, Ruth chapter number 3 verse 12 and we're going to do a little reading. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. She's made that proposal. I need to be redeemed. I need to be purchased. And of course Boaz knows and she knows and Naomi knows that she's eligible for that. How bit, this is Boaz talking, how bit there is a kinsman nearer than I. Once again, and I said it before, he wasn't trying to outskirt. He wasn't trying to outmaneuver. He wasn't trying to put the wool over somebody else's eyes. Boaz was a man of integrity. He was a man of character. And so he was going to obey the word of God. Tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning, that if he will perform unto thee the part of a kinsman's well, let him do the kinsman's part. But if he will not do the part of a kinsman to thee, then will I do the part of a kinsman to thee, as the Lord liveth, lie down until, until, until the morning. So Boaz tells her, he said, I would love to redeem you. 
I would, I would love to, to purchase. I would love to make this right through um, uh, Malion and uh, Abimelech, your father-in-law. You have a right to that. And I would love to do that. I'd be honored to do that. But there's someone that's more kinsman near than I. So I want you to look at, uh, there could be some problems in redemption if things are not met. And to see that, I want you to go to Leviticus chapter 25. Leviticus chapter 25, and this is underneath the Old Testament economy, and the Lord covered this. The responsibility of the kinsman redeemer included two things. Number one, it included the purchase of property for the original owner to gain ownership. And number two, his responsibility was to marry uh, the the widow that is childless, that his his brother passed away and his sister-in-law is left with no children. And it was the brother's duty uh, to to keep his name and keep his heritage alive. And that's what Ruth is seeking through the family of her deceased husband. And look at Leviticus 25, verse number 25. And here is the how it's set up in the economy about taking possession of the land. If thy brother be waxing poor, Leviticus 25, 25, and have sold away some of his possession, the land that was divided unto each. And so... Uh, if for some reason during that time he sold away some of his possession. You know how it is, money gets low and you take the violin to the pawn shop. That's what's going on. No no, no offense to the violinist over here. And so maybe they get a little stuck, maybe they get a little burden, and they, uh, they pinch off a piece of land, they, they sell it, they get a little money for it. And if thy brother be waxing poor and has sold away some of his possession, and if any of his kin come to redeem it, that's to purchase it, that's to buy back, then shall he redeem that which his brother sold. So therefore, the kinsman redeemer is buying back the land to keep it within the family so he doesn't lose it for generations to come. And if the man have none to redeem it, himself be able to redeem it. So he can redeem it. He can purchase it. And let him count the years of the sale thereof and restore the overplus unto the man unto whom he sold it. Maybe he sold the land to somebody and he grew crop on it. And then if you were to redeem it and purchase it back during that time, you'd have to pay the man for the crop or what's left on it uh, to take care that he doesn't lose, that he may return unto his possession. Verse 28, but if he not be able to restore it to him, then that which is sold shall remain in the hand of him that hath bought it Unto the year of Jubilee, that's every 50 years. Actually, it's seven sets of seven, that's 49 years. And in the year, in the Jubilee, it shall go out and it shall return unto his possession. So, you know, if on year two, you pawned off your land to somebody else and and no one's able to redeem it and you wasn't able to buy it back, then the family will get it back during the year of Jubilee. And that could be a long time. The key there is that the responsibility of the near kinsman redeemer could purchase property to keep it in the family so they don't ever lose it. And also, look at Deuteronomy 25. Look at Deuteronomy 25. So this is what's taking place in the life of Boaz right now. He's very well qualified to do this. 
He's not just wanting Elimelech's land, but all that's connected to Elimelech, including Ruth. Look at Deuteronomy 25. Just a little Bible study tonight. Deuteronomy 25 and verse number 5. Now there's some wild stuff in Deuteronomy 25. You want to go home and read some good Bible literature, uh, have at it. Amen. And there's some, there, there's some interesting things in there. But Deuteronomy 25 verse 5, If brethren dwell together and one of them die and have no child, the wife of the dead, that's Ruth, okay, the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go in unto her and take her to him to wife and perform the duty of the husband's brother unto her. And by the way, if there was no brother, it would pass to an uncle. It would pass, it would stay in that side of the family and to keep and, and to, and to, to, that way to protect and to keep the family from having an extinction of their name, if you will. In verse 6 it says, And it shall be that the firstborn which shall bear it shall succeed in the name of his brother which is dead, that his name be not put out of Israel. And if the man, and if the man like not to, uh, like not to take his brother's wife, and let his brother's wife go up to gate unto the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to raise up unto his brother a name in Israel, and he will not perform the duty of the husband's brother. So the brother says, you know, I'm not interested in my sister-in-law. I know my, my brother died, left her childless, but I'm not doing this. Well, there was consequences. She would take him to the elders of the city, to the gate, and she would, uh, she would say, listen, this is not what God said. This is not what's right. You need to perform your duty. And then if he doesn't do it, there's a consequences. In verse 8, then the elders of the city shall call him and speak unto him. And if he stand to it and say, I like not to take her, then shall his brother's wife come into her, uh, into him in the presence of the elders and loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face. Boy, isn't that, isn't that, now you see a little bit of this in Ruth chapter number four. But if he says, no, I'm not interested in you. I'm not performing the, my duty. She, she gets to come in in front of the elders, take his shoe off from his foot and spit in his face. And shall answer and say, So shall it be done unto the man that shall not uh, build up his brother's house. And his name shall be called in Israel, The house of him that hath his shoe loosed. And that is the two passages of Scripture that's tying all this together in the book of Ruth. This is what making, this is what makes Boaz well qualified. And he knows what he has to do in order to obtain Ruth as his bride. Now, he wants to redeem her. There's no doubt about it. And let me give you this tonight, a little bit of this tonight. Uh, in order for a kinsman redeemer, uh, of course, this goes without saying, in order to redeem someone in this situation, you had to be a relative, a brother, or someone in that family. Maybe the brother died and, and there's an uncle, or there's a cousin, or what have you, but the near kinsman. And sometimes the brother, you know, you know, sometimes in your Bible it talked about the fathers and it would go back generations talking about, you know, David's father, but you're going back several generations. That's the same way with the brothers and things of that nature. So it didn't always have to be the immediately brother if it just passed down to that particular 
man and his duty that fell in the line. But anyway, to be part of a kinsman redeemer, you had to be uh, related. And of course, Boaz is is qualified in that area. Look at Ruth chapter 2 verse 1. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's. You see, that's how Ruth is going to get engrafted in. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. So he is a near kinsman, but he's not the only near kinsman. He would be second instead of first in line. So he meets that qualification. Also, there's another qualification. Uh, as we read, uh, the redemption had to require some resources, which means they had the money. They had to have the means. The same passage of Scripture teaches that the kinsman redeemer had to have finances, had to have funds to buy back the sole possession or the purchase uh, the possession. And Boaz fulfilled this requirement also in Ruth chapter 2 verse 1 that he was a mighty man of wealth. There's no doubt that Boaz is a great entrepreneur of his day. So he's, 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 a relate, he's a relative, and that qualifies him to set up Ruth and her, and her um, uh, redemption of her and also of the, of the land. And also he's a mighty man of wealth. But yet you could be a relative, and yet you could be a person of wealth, but if you don't meet the third qualification, and that's willing. You had to be willing, according to Leviticus 25, 25, according to Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 10 that we read a while ago. You had to be willing, the near kinsman redeemer had to be willing to buy back the inheritance, because if he didn't, he can refuse, he can reject, but there was a blight on him. There was a shame on him. He was taken before the elders because his unwillingness, and he was scolded. She took his foot off. She took his foot off. She took his shoe off his foot. She spit in his face. That's a humiliation. That's a shame. So he had to be willing. Not everybody was willing, even though they had the resources, even though they were a relative. Now you say, how do, what, what does that mean to us today? I'll tell you what it means. Our Lord Jesus Christ fulfills all of those requirements when it comes to our redemption and our salvation. Look at Philippians chapter number 2. Look at Philippians chapter number 2. The Lord Jesus Christ, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ is our near kinsman redeemer. I'm talking about humanity, Jews or Gentile or whoever. Listen, the closest relative that mankind ever had that could redeem was the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why the book of Luke was written to show his geology going all the way back to Adam. And the book of Luke shows him as a son of man. So he's the only man that was qualified, one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He was the only one that could aid. He was the only one that could help. He's the only one that could assist sinful humanity. He had a virgin birth. He had a perfect and pure and sinless life. He was not just a son of man, but he was a son of God. He's the one that died on the cross. He was the one that was buried. He was the one that was rose again the third day. He's the one that sits on the right hand of the Father. With all of that put together, that makes him more than qualified. He's a relative to humanity. 
as being the son of man. Okay? And he has the resources. Well, before I get to that, look at Philippians chapter number two. I'm talking about that he, he has a relationship to us. Philippians chapter two, verse number five. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Here's a description of Christ, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. This is the God man becoming man and took on him of no reputation and took on him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. They couldn't even pick out Jesus Christ in a crowd. Uh, Judas Iscariot said, the one I kiss is the one you arrest. The one I betray and kiss on the cheek is the Son of Man, the Son of God. That means he blended in with the likeness of men. But yet he was a relative to mankind. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. This is some great scripture. Everybody ought to memorize this part of Scripture. And then found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. It's hard for me not to read further. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him. The only man that ever been worthy of God, Jehovah God's exaltation. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, but at the name of Jesus Every knee shall bow, things of heaven, things in earth, things under the earth, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, He has a relationship to us. He's a relative, so therefore it makes Him a near kinsman redeemer. May I also say He has the resources? Look at Hebrews 7.25. Look at Hebrews 7.25. Look at Hebrews 7.25. The Bible says, Wherefore he is able also. He is the context of Jesus Christ in verse number 22. In verse number 25, Wherefore he is able. I'm glad that my God is able. I'm glad that my Savior, the Son of Man, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, I'm glad that he is able also to save them to the uttermost that cometh unto God by him seeing he ever liveth to make an intercession for them. That's how great our God is. That's the kind of Savior that we have. That's the kind of uh, Redeemer that we have, that he has not just a relation to mankind, but he has resources to mankind to save us to the uttermost so that we can come to him and that he will continue and, and, and ever live to make intercession for us. I mean, he is our high priest that stands on our behalf. He is well qualified and he has the proper resources to redeem mankind. Look at Ephesians 3. Look at Ephesians 3 verse number 20. Look at Ephesians 3 20. Now unto him, talking about Jesus Christ once again. Now unto him that is able. Boy, I like that word able. To do exceedingly. Exceeding abundantly above all things that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. That's Holy Ghost power by the way. He works with Holy Ghost power that works in us and allows 
Him through us to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. Listen, the Lord Jesus got plenty of resources. He's got plenty of relations to mankind. But thank God, He needed more than that. The Lord Jesus Christ didn't just need to be the Son of Man and, 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 and have the ability to redeem mankind, but, uh, and also have the resources to redeem mankind, but He had to be willing. And I'm telling you, aren't you glad tonight that our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to go to the cross for our sin? I mean, He told them over and over, you know, I, I'm going to lay down my life and in three days I'll take it up again. I mean, listen, you understand when they put Jesus and nailed him to the cross, listen, they had to wrestle everybody up until that point that got crucified, the thieves, the murderers, the, the transgressors. I'm telling you, no matter how weary and tired they were, it took, it took men, it took multiple Roman soldiers to hold down the man while they drove the nails. But I'm telling you, the Lord Jesus Christ, they didn't have to hold him down. He didn't fight. He didn't wrestle. He was willingly laid himself out on that cross. And he said, put one here. He put one here. I'll go ahead and cross my legs. Put another one there. Hey, I take it all. I was willingly to take it all. He went to the cross not willing that any should perish, but all men come to repentance. I'm glad he was willing to take my place. I wasn't worthy of any of it. I wasn't entitled to any of it, but I'm so glad, I am so glad that he was willing. And that's what Boaz said. Boaz said, Ruth, I've got, I'm the relative, I've got the resources, and, and, and you know, Ruth, I am, I am willing. But there's another man that's a relative, that's in chapter 4, there's another man that's a re- that's a, that's got the resources, but you just got to find. We just got to find out if he's willing. And let me just say this: I'll close. I didn't get as far as I never do. I never get as far as I want to. But let me say this: There's a lot of things that uh, try to redeem people. People every day try to redeem themselves. Amen. You see, Boaz in Ruth chapter number four meets that man. The Bible doesn't even give it his name. And Boaz tells this man, he said, if you're going to redeem it, redeem it. And then finally, he turns down the redemption. And if you read it carefully, I think Boaz kind of set him up a little bit. He told him about the land first and got him interested in it. And he said, yeah, I'll take that. Then he told him about Ruth the Moabite. And I think Boaz threw that Moabite in there to throw him off his game a little bit. Thank God gave him wisdom. But anyway, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that try to redeem mankind. People try to use religion. People try to use themselves. People try to use education. People try to use the works of the flesh. People try to do good and do all they can. But none of those things can redeem. But in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And I'm so glad that our Lord was willing.
to redeem. Just like Boaz was willing uh, to redeem Ruth. And as we close, I just want you to read this reading and then we're going to let them walk through the door. Look at Ruth chapter number 3. It's pretty self-explanatory. She lay at his feet, verse 14, until the morning. She's been very attentive. She's listening to Boaz. She rose up before one could know another, and that's not to sneak out, but that's a protection of a testimony. Whatsoever thy hands find it to do, do all to the glory of God. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came unto the floor. He's trying to protect their courtship, their relationship. He's trying to keep people from... Uh, to keep their um, their dating, if you will, with integrity. Also, he said, "Bring the veil that thou hast upon thee and hold it." And when she held it, he measured six measures of barley, and he laid it on her, and she went into the city. See, he just continually takes care, and when, that's eighty-eight pounds of barley. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, "Who art thou, my daughter?" She's asking, "Are you married yet?" Are you Mrs. Boaz yet? Do we have a wedding date set? And she told all that the man had done to her. And she said, these six measures of barley gave him me. No doubt that's almost like a down payment. Instead of a wedding ring, she got barley. How about that, ladies? For he said to me, go not empty into thy mother-in-law. Then said she, sit still. Well, there's a lot of preaching right there. Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how the matter will fall. For the man will not be in rest until he hath finished the thing this day. And I'm telling you, when Boaz woke up that morning in just a few hours, I don't believe he slept long that night. When it starts in chapter 4, the sun's not up very long and he's getting business done. Because when you found the right one, and you found the one that God wants you to have like he has. He, he is beyond willing to do whatever it takes to redeem Miss Ruth. And, that's, and all that's just a great picture. Just bring them through. All that's just a great picture of what the Lord has done for us.